show up or not. So when you show up, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You are real. You brought people here, and I'm just grateful that you showed up. So anyways, my name is Daniel, and my wife Emily is over here with our baby boy, Abram, and our daughter Jane is running around somewhere, uh, right there at the chips with their papa. Uh, we got two kids under two, so pray for us. Starting a church in a pandemic with two kids under two, that's not the best idea in the world, but uh, we're trying it out. We'll let you know how it goes. But, uh, but yeah, so we are crazy enough to dream that God is going to create a beautiful church uh, in this intense moment of history. It's not an exaggeration to say that this year has been a year of upheaval in our world and specifically in our nation. I don't know if I've experienced a year where people seem to be more angry and more afraid than this year. It's this year of shaking and uncertainty. And, and back last fall, when we decided to plant this church, guys, we had no idea what was coming, right? When the coronavirus broke out, you know, the race riots, all this stuff going on. We had no idea what was going to happen in 2020, but God asked us to do it, so we're going to do it. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that God has called us for such a time as this. I'm convinced that, that the fact that our world is in, that, or is in a state of upheaval right now is actually more reason to plant a church uh, within this moment. I don't believe that, that we're just supposed to do things on our own strength, but instead I believe that we're supposed to go out, step out in faith, and do things that that if God doesn't show up, it's not going to work. And that's the reality. If God doesn't move within this church plan, it's not going to work, right? Strategy's not going to work right now. It's going to take the genuine power of God in our city, and that's what we're contending for. And God has been so faithful in this church planning journey. As we get uh, closer and closer to the launch of this church, which if you don't know, it's September 13th at the Hilton Garden, and I hope to see you there, right? Come on. It's going to be amazing. Uh, but we're also having preview services starting on August 16th. So two Sundays from now, 10 a.m. at the Hilton Garden Inn. I hope to see you there. All right. So anyways, as, as we've been uh, getting closer, we become more and more confident in what God is doing. He's just setting everything up. He's unfolding a beautiful story right before our eyes. And I believe that this church is going to be used to transform so many lives. I believe that. I believe that this church is going to be a testimony to the fact that God can bring beauty out of the ashes, that he can do something amazing in the midst of a terrible moment. I believe this church is going to be a testimony that God's love can drive out fear. I believe fear needs to be driven out in this hour. I believe that. And I believe that God is going to raise up a strong, bold church that is full of his love and his grace and his power. You know, this church has really been a decade in the making. If, if you've seen our website, you can see some of our story, but, but for most of the of the last decade, my wife and I have lived in Cedar Falls. We took two years off, but uh, we came up here in 2011 as freshmen in college at UNI, and we helped start uh, the Kyle campus ministry as students. We left and then came back in 2015, and for the last five years, we've led the campus ministry at UNI, and God has done just something really incredible as we've seen uh, students raised up within the ministry who are giving it all for Jesus. You know, they are just like serious disciples. Some of them are here, so I'm not trying to toot your horn. Don't get prideful now. But, but God has just built up some really strong disciples through Chi Alpha, and we are so grateful for it. But this last year, God has just began to kind of uh, kind of call us to a new thing, and I just feel like the Lord's been saying, hey, what I've done on the campus, I want to see done in the city. Because here's the reality, guys. In our city, in Cedar Falls and Waterloo, only 39% of people belong to a church. And belong to a church, hey, the question is, what does that even mean? Because people say they belong to a church when they never go, right? So only 39% belong to a church and it's probably much less that are actually actively involved. So that means that 61,000 people in Cedar Falls and Waterloo do not have a church. And I believe that God is calling us to help change that. You know, there's really 
four reasons why I believe that God's calling us to plant this church. The, uh, the first reason is to broaden our ministry out to be able to include all generations. You know, I love Chi Alpha, but something I struggled with was the fact that if you're over the age of 25, we had to turn you away. That just felt weird to me. And I'm excited to be able to have everyone from a newborn baby to someone who's 99 years old at our church. You know, that's the, come on. Yeah, come on, mom. Thank you. That's my mom right there. Praise God for her. You know, she's going to be my, uh, the girl who shouts me down on Sunday mornings. All right, so <laughs> the second reason is we need more churches in the Cedar Valley. If we filled up every church in the Cedar Valley, we still wouldn't have enough room for all the people who live here, right? So we need more churches to reach the people of the Cedar Valley. And the third reason is there's so many people who don't know Jesus, as I shared. You know, not only do only 39% of people belong to a church, but actually in 2017, Barna did a study and found that Cedar Rapids up through Waterloo is the fourth least Bible-minded region in the nation. Okay, so it's like Albany, New York is first for least Bible-minded, and then it's Boston, Massachusetts. So these coasts, right? This makes sense. The third one is, is Providence, Rhode Island. And then fourth is Cedar Rapids and Waterloo. Like, what is up with that, right? We're supposed to be in the Midwest. We're not supposed to be grouped up at the East Coast. And I believe God is calling us to change that. And the fourth reason is, and this one's really near to my heart, the fourth reason why we want to plant a church is because we just believe that a brand new church is an opportunity to create a church that just looks the most like the New Testament as possible. And we're going to do our best. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to mess up. But, but I just want to do our best to try to be as faithful to Scripture and what the early church saw as possible. I just want to see the book of Acts come to life in Cedar Falls and Waterloo, right? So that's the reasons why we're doing it. And I believe that, that God is going to use us as a community to bring his love and power to our region. We're going to see people who are far from God come to know him for the first time. And those people will go out and then lead others to Jesus. I believe that. We're going to see people who have known God, but they've been jaded or hurt by the church. They're going to come back and they're going to find Jesus again. They're going to come into a relationship with him again. I believe we're going to see families restored. I believe we're going to see broken marriages healed. We're going to see children raised up from our children's ministry all through the church to become strong men and women of God who go to the ends of the earth and take the gospel with them. I believe that. I believe that God wants us to raise up children. I believe we're going to see the schools touched with the power and love of God as the youth and teachers bring the gospel to our schools. I believe we're going to see a place where single moms can call home. We're going to provide a place for young families, that's me, right, to establish their roots and to have a place to grow. But I don't believe this church is only for the young. I want to see some old people at this church. In Joel chapter 2, the prophet said this. He said, come on, I want old people, right? I've been hanging out with young people for a while. Praise him. But, uh, but, but Joel said in Joel chapter 2, he said, when this Holy Spirit is poured out, your old men will dream dreams. I want to see old men dream dreams in our day. I'm sick of the cynicism. I want to see old men dream dreams and see that God is still on the move in their life and dream for their families and for their community. I just want to see that happen. And I'm crazy enough to believe that maybe you are here today because you are called to be a part of this, right? If you came here, you're going to get this, right? I'm going to say, I think you might be called to be a part of this. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for over a year. Say, God, I got a bunch of 20-somethings, and they don't know what they're doing. They don't have money. God, we need, that's not why we're doing it, but hey, you need money to do a church, right? I'm like, God, we need some families. So hey, if you're uh, someone who's not 20 or under, thank you for coming, or between the ages of 18 and 22, thank you for coming, because I've been praying for you, and I believe that God maybe is calling you to be a part of this. And as I was preparing for this message, I just felt like... I felt like the Lord wanted me to, uh, to talk about love tonight, okay? Talk about love. Last time, if you missed last uh, party in the park, you can catch it online. I challenged our group like crazy to go out and bring the gospel. But this week, I want to encourage you more so. 
And we're going to talk about God's love and how love drives out fear. So the sermon tonight is called Sent with Love. Sent with Love. And as you know by now, unless you're blind, our church is called Sent Church. Okay? And that sounds like kind of a weird name. But the reason we're called that is because we want to always remember who has sent us, right? We haven't come up with this idea on our own. Jesus Christ himself has sent us. And if he has sent us, then he's preparing the way and he's going to go before us and, and work on hearts and help us to bring the gospel to our community. So we are a sent church. You know, John 20, 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So we're really holding on to that and saying God has called us to be missionaries to our community and help our friends become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Okay, so today I want to talk about how God has called us to be sent with love. That's the Holy Spirit right there. Praise Him. So, oh, well, that wasn't that important. So we're good. First John 4. thought it was a guitar for a second. All right, so we're going to be in 1 John 4, all right? In verse 7, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. And this is a letter written from the Apostle John to Christian believers in the early church. He's challenging them to, to continue to love one another. Okay, so I want to pray over this and we'll read it. Okay, verse 7. So God, we just pray tonight that you would speak to us. God, I pray that this would not be my words. God, I pray that this would not be lofty words of wisdom or good speech, but I pray that this would be a demonstration of your spirit and your power, God. We need your touch in our day. We don't need more ideas from me. Instead, we need your touch. So God, I pray that you would speak through your scripture and that every heart would be touched by your love tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse seven and eight, let's read it. It says this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Okay, so first point, and you might think I'm really smart with this point. I crack this joke almost every time. But uh, the first point is this. God is love, and we must love. Okay, very simply put, God is love, and we must love. So John calls us to love one another because God is love. If we truly know God, then it should be natural to love as love is who God is at his core. And if we don't love others, then we don't really know God is what John proposes. So uh, this is quite a statement. These are fighting words, right? This is quite a challenge. If we don't have love in our hearts for one another within the church and for those outside the church, then John is saying you might not know God. And that doesn't mean you can never mess up. That doesn't mean you can't have road rage uh, once in a while, right? Once a week, that's all you get. But uh, it doesn't mean you can't fail, but it means that if you really know God, like love should be your baseline emotion towards people. That should be the natural thing that flows out of you. But the question is, what is love? Because I think we're confused about what love is in our culture. There's so many different definitions of it. And in the Bible, there's, there's uh, four Greek words for love in the New Testament. Okay, so there's the love between friends. There's the love between family members. There's the love between uh, romantic partners. Can I get an amen? And then there's love. I'm kidding. It was a joke. And then there's love between God and people. And that's what, what John is talking about here. He's talking about agape love. Okay, so it's this word agape, which Agape love means to lay down your life for another. That's the kind of love that causes you to say, I'm going to give up my life for someone else. And John can say that God is love because it's within God's very nature to lay down his life for others. He not only showed this when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, but he's been showing it for all of eternity. Okay, so hang with me for a second. See, God is Trinity, right? He's one in essence, but three in persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And for all of eternity, these three persons have been loving and serving one another. Okay, so before we were ever created, it was just God at some point, right? And if God was just unipersonal, if it was just God and there wasn't three persons, he could not be 
agape love because agape love is about laying down your life for others. But instead, he is three in one. So for all of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have been laying down their lives for each other in this beautiful dance is what theologians call it, this dance of God where they've been just laying down their lives for each other. And the reason that God created us was because he wanted to extend this love out. He wanted to broaden the dance. Kind of like when a couple decides to have children. You're like, hey, I want to broaden this out. I'm sharing this to say we are a product of love. God created us out of love and for love. We're supposed to model the Trinity's love for himself within, it's hard to explain it, but you know what I'm saying. We're supposed to model that in the way we love one another, right? We're supposed to model that dance specifically within the church. We're supposed to, are supposed to love one another in this way. To claim to be a follower of Jesus or a son or daughter of God and not have love in your heart is a contradiction. That's what John is saying to us. So uh, last week I wasn't feeling well. I thought I had corona for a second, but hey, the test was negative and I have a mask on most of the time today. So hey, but uh, point is I was at home watching Netflix a lot. Probably too much Netflix. I'm not going to lie. I probably need to confess my sins right now. But I was watching uh, uh, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan and the 1990s Bulls. Come on. That's a good documentary. The Bulls, I just, I was like five during that time. I wish I was a little bit older. But anyways, it was fascinating. And as I watched the, or the natural uh, or question came up in my head, I, I began to wonder, hey, uh, do Michael's boys play basketball? It's a natural thing, because Michael's good at basketball. I'm like, hey, his boys are probably good at basketball. And I looked, and I saw that they played college, but they didn't make it to the pros. I share that to say that it was very natural f- for me to assume that his boys played ball, because, you know, Michael is essentially like basketball. Like, like Michael is basketball. We could say that, right? And if he is basketball, his sons should play basketball. That's uh, the thought process there. And in the same way, God is love. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time when it comes to love. And if you're his son or daughter, you should also be love. That should be your baseline emotion. We need to be a people who follow in the way of Jesus and lay down our lives for the good of the world. That's the first point that John's making, but I want to keep going. Verse 9, he says this. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that... Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here, John explicitly defines what love is. Yes, we know God is love, and now we know the Greek word for love. We feel smarter, right? But, but John gives us an even more vivid picture. John tells us that, that the love of God was made manifest when Jesus came into the world, taking on human flesh so that we might live. And not only that, but his love was made manifest when Jesus gave up his life uh, so that we could be saved. <clears throat> so point two tonight, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. Come on, who's the spiritual one? You want to take notes? All right, second point. Is love equals Jesus in the world equals Jesus on the cross. Okay, so if you're ever wondering, what does it look like to love? Or what must I do if I want to obey Jesus' command to love? Just look at what John says in, in verse 9 and 10 here. The first thing that Jesus did in the... in him, in his human life was he decided not to leave us in our sin, but he came out of heaven to rescue us. In Genesis 3, we sinned and we rebelled against God. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden for their rebellion. But in verse 15, I love this verse, in verse 15 of Genesis 3, God tells Adam and Eve that he says, your son is going to crush the head of the serpent. So the one who caused them to sin, your son is going to crush his head. So when Jesus came out of heaven, God was fulfilling that promise. He was sending his son to crush the head of the serpent. He's the son of Adam and Eve who, who would crush the devil's head. 
Jesus left his prosperity to embrace our poverty and become one of us. That is insane love to come out of heaven and to live in this chaos, right? And 2020 is not the first year of chaos. It's been bad for quite some time. Jesus came out of heaven to live within our world. He did it so that he could live the human life in the way that it was meant to be lived, obeying the law perfectly and loving God and people perfectly. But Jesus didn't just come into the world so that he could live a life pleasing to God. He then is rewarded for this by being put up on a cross to pay our penalty for our sins, for the sins of those who cannot obey the law perfectly, who cannot love God well, who cannot love neighbor well. Jesus made propitiation. He paid the price for our sins. In Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So every time we sin, the penalty is death, but Jesus bears that penalty on the cross. In Romans 5.8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, so, uh, so not, and while we cleaned up our life, and while we were pretty good, and while we were religious, no, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is insane love. That is the love that caused Jesus to come out of heaven and give up everything for us. And that needs to change us tonight. If you're a follower of Jesus, I pray that that cross, that that life that Jesus lived, that that resurrection would change you tonight. So now if we turn from our ways and we make Jesus our Lord, his sacrifice is going to be credited to us, meaning that our penalty is paid. But not only that, but also the perfect life of Christ is going to be credited to us. And that means that when God looks at you, if you're a son or daughter of God, he sees Jesus himself. Whoa, if God like sees Jesus when he looks at me, that should give me a lot more confidence before him. I don't need to be so shameful and beat myself up. Instead, I approach the throne of grace with boldness because God looks at me in the same way that he looks at Jesus. But that's only if you put your faith in him, right? That's the only way that can be applied to your account. Okay, so many of the great stories in our culture, and I'm going to use a lot of Disney stories here, okay, because I watch Disney Plus way too much with my daughter. But, but, you know, many of the great stories in our culture are centered around this kind of love, okay, so where someone lays down their life for the good of others. I think of Lion King when Simba decides to leave Hakuna Matata to go and save his pride, right? He comes out of that comfort and says, I'm going to save my pride. I'm going to knock down Scar and be the king I was called to be. I think of Moana, which I've seen about a million times, and how Moana leaves the comfort of her island uh, to sail across the sea when she's never sailed before, uh, to make the demigod Maui uh, restore the heart of Tefiti. And she risked it all for her people. I think of Tony Stark in Avengers Endgame. If you haven't seen it yet, well, you need to yeah, go buy it. But anyways, he gives his life to save the world. The point is, godly love compels us to give our lives for others. It's at the heart of so much of what we celebrate. Because we know that that is like, like the face of God when you see someone lay down their life for someone else. There, there's nothing more compelling. We are called into this kind of love. Just like Jesus came out of heaven to save us, we must lay down our life for others. And we must commit to making uh, the love of Jesus manifest to one another and to the world by choosing to do whatever it takes to love people. This looks like generosity. This looks like kindness when we're tempted to be harsh. This looks like gentleness. This looks like making ourselves uncomfortable for others. Love is our calling. It's our inheritance. But there's one more point, and I think this one's the most important, so hang with me. Okay, so we know that God is love, and we're called to love, and, and love looks like Jesus, on the, or Jesus in the world and Jesus on the cross. But we're going to skip down to the end of chapter 4 because John tells us how we can know 
that God's love has really changed us. Okay, so maybe you're wondering, I don't know if I got God's love in my heart. Well, uh, John's going to tell us how we know. Okay, so let's read this, verse 17 through 21. He says this, By this is love perfected with us. Okay, so this is how you know that God's love has really had its way in your heart. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, third point. That was a you know, mouthful there. And the third point is we know that or that love has had its way in our hearts when we walk in confidence before God and before the world. Okay, before God and before the world. I think this is important in this hour. I think we need to get this. We know that the love of God has been perfected in us when we can be confident before the king and confident before the world no matter what it throws at us. And Eugene Peterson says this in a better way. Well, not a better way, but says it were more understandable in the message, which I don't encourage you to read this as your devotional scripture you know, read the SV or the NIV, but this helps us understand what they're saying. It's a paraphrase of John, of 1 John 4. It's Eugene's take on this passage. So let's read it. It says this. It says, This love has, has the brunt of the house, becomes at home and mature in us, so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There's no room in love for fear. Or for fear. And well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. Okay, so instead of fearing God's presence, which some of us do, we're afraid of God. We don't really want to be around him. We think he's mad at us. Instead of fearing God's presence and being ashamed, we are confident and joyful before him because we know that his love has already changed us, that, that Jesus has already given up everything for us. We can stand with confidence before God because we know that our, our standing is identical with Christ. Again, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And we know that Jesus has paid the price for our sins. But John goes on and he says that there is no fear in love, but God's perfect love drives out fear. Okay, so we're no longer fearful because fear has to do with punishment, right? If you're afraid of God, that means you're afraid he's going to punish you. But if he's already punished Jesus on your behalf, he doesn't need to punish you. Jesus already bore our punishment. If we're still afraid of punishment, then that means that or that love has not been perfected in you. So tonight, if you're feeling shameful before the Lord, you need to repent of that sin, but then know that if you've repented, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, he has paid your penalty, and you do not need to fear him in that way. There's a healthy awe and fear of God, but not in the way that you're afraid that he's going to smite you. All right, but I... Yeah, but I want to take it a step further, okay? So I don't think that John is just saying we should walk in confidence before God. I also think he's saying we should walk in confidence... Uh, no matter what the world throws at us. So if the worship team would come up, I'm going to close here in a second. But in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this. I want you to get this, okay? I think this is important in this hour. He says this. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after having nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Okay, so he's telling us to fear God, right? I just told you, hey, don't be scared of him. I'm saying it's a healthy fear, a healthy awe of God saying, I want to please him, but I'm saying we should not be crippled before God, okay? So just hear me on that. But anyways, in, in verse 6, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, 
Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not because you are of more value than many sparrows. Okay, so Jesus tells us we should not fear people or things or viruses who can only hurt us in the physical realm. I'm not saying to not social distance and wear a mask. I'm just saying we should not be, be fearful. This doesn't mean we don't walk in wisdom. It doesn't mean you don't care for those you love by, by taking precautionary measures. But it does mean we don't, don't allow irrational fear, anxiety, or worry to have any place in our hearts because we know that there is a king over everything who thinks we're more valuable than many sparrows, who's numbered the hairs on our head. God knows every hair on your head. If that's true, if God loves you in that way, then there's no reason to fear. I think there's a few reasons why we shouldn't fear. I, I think the, the first reason is we shouldn't fear because there's really nothing eternal that can happen to us at this point because Jesus has already paid the eternal price for our sins. So if we died, I'm not saying go out and die, but if we died, we would be with Jesus, right? Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. I believe God is looking for a church who actually believes that. That isn't just like, like you know, grabbing Jesus for a get out of hell free card, but instead of saying, if I got to die today, I get to be with Jesus, right? And if you have that in your heart, you won't fear the things of the world. The second reason we shouldn't fear is that the cross proved that Jesus Christ cares for you. If you ever doubted if Christ cared for you, just look at the cross when he was bloody and bruised for your sins. He knew everything you do. I know all the bad things I've done, right? And the fact that, that Jesus gave it all for me blows my mind. Jesus gave it all for you. He knew every bad thing you'd do, every bad thought you'd have, and yet he still paid the price for your sins. So that means that God 100% cares for you. She did that last time too. It's perfect timing. Right at the end. All right, so the third reason why we shouldn't fear tonight is this. Is we shouldn't fear because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when he came up out of that grave, it showed that he has unlimited power. It shows that he has defeated death, sin, hell, and the grave. If he can defeat death, then there's nothing that this God can't do. We need to hear that in this hour. I believe that Satan is trying to get us to be crippled with fear, but God is calling us to rise up and to say, this God cares for me 100%. This God is 100% powerful, and he's already taken away the worst possible penalty I could ever pay. This God inspires us to not have fear, but to have boldness and courage and love and joy and peace and patience. I could go on and on and on. This God should change us. This love should change us tonight. Just as Simba defeated Scar, just as Moana restored the heart, and just as Tony Stark took down Thanos, Jesus has defeated death, right? We need to celebrate that, right? We need to celebrate that tonight. Can we, like seriously, right now, I want to do something. I want to give God praise, right? Because I want this church to be built on Jesus. And I want to give him praise right now and say, Jesus, thank you for taking away the sting of death in an hour when we have a lot of reasons to fear. So can we give him praise right now, right now? Let's do it. Come on, Jesus. Come on. He is worth it, right? Guys, I'm telling you, right, I'm about to start preaching, but I'm supposed to be done. I want to get going here, but hey, I'm just saying, guys, this Jesus is worth giving everything for. He is worth it. He has done everything possible to show that he loves you. He is worth giving it all for. As we experience this off-the-charts love, and as the confidence of God grows in our hearts, we are freed to not worry about ourselves, to not be angry at others when they don't act the way we want them to. Some of you need to hear that tonight. You don't need to be angry all the time, right? Uh, to not allow fear to drive us. And I'm talking about myself, right? I get angry at times. Uh, but instead, instead of these things, instead of anger and fear and uncertainty, to love. That's what the love of God does. In this moment of history, when God, when people are fighting for their lives, when they are lashing out, this kind of Jesus 
or Jesus' love will be the greatest witness to our community. When the world is afraid, we are joyful. And while the world is angry, we are kind. And while the world is uncertain, we are confident. If you're here tonight and you're afraid, I want to encourage you that Jesus loves you. He's for you. He died and he rose from the grave. We need to get that. While everything's going crazy out there, you can have confidence in here. You can have joy even when the world is full of despair. You can have peace even when others are angry. You can experience this kind of love that, that absolutely transforms you. So, hey, hey, maybe you're here tonight and you don't follow Jesus, and that is great. I'm glad you came here, right? Because I believe tonight that God has your number and that he wants to know you. In Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul tells us, he says, you know, to be a follower of Jesus, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So simply put, to become a follower of Jesus, you say, I cannot be the master of my life, but Jesus is going to be the master. I'm calling him Lord. And you're believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I believe that some people tonight need to get saved. Some people tonight need to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And nobody's looking around, right? There's no one looking around. This is between you and God. I believe that this is a holy moment. If you're here tonight and you need to get right with Jesus, maybe you once followed him and have walked away, or maybe tonight you want to put your faith in him for the first time, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I just want you to slip up your hand to heaven, just a signal between you and God saying, Jesus, I confess that you are Lord. So I'm going to count right now and then raise your hand. So one, two, three, slip them up all across this room. I see that hand, see that hand, see that hand, see that hand. Is there anyone else? All right, I want to pray for you. It's a simple prayer of repentance and trust in Jesus. Let's pray and let's pray together as a body tonight. Right? So Jesus, right now we admit that uh, we are not you know, good gods. We are not good lords of our own lives. Instead, God, we admit that each of us have messed up. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And we need your sacrifice on our behalf. And God, we don't just need your sacrifice. We also need your resurrection power uh, to bring us into new life. So Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that your spirit would just kind of rush into us right now and just give us new life all across this room. And not just for people getting saved, but also for people who are following you and they're discouraged right now. I pray that your spirit would fill us. I pray that you would empower us for this moment. In Jesus' name. Right, I want to pray for, uh, for one more group. If you're here tonight and you're just feeling afraid, I want to pray for you. Okay, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. But I just want to pray that, that God would give you courage tonight. That that you would really, and that I would really understand that God loves us, that he is for us, and if he's for us, then we can be for the world, right? So let's pray right now. Let's pray that something supernatural would happen, that a download of his love would happen. So Jesus, right now, we're praying all across this room that your Holy Spirit would just fill us with love. God, I pray for that person that came tonight, and they've been doubting if you love them. God, I pray right now that you would encourage them and speak to them and tell them how much you love them. God, I pray for that person that just feels hopeless and helpless right now, that feels like you're not as powerful as you say you are. I, I pray right now that they would just have this confidence that you are a powerful king who can do anything. God, I pray for a spirit of boldness and love to come over this group. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand up. Let's worship God one more time together tonight. I believe that God is sending us with his love to our city. So let's just sing this out with everything we got.